Welcome to episode two of Better with Paul. Now today, I want to take you on a special trip to my new home in the United Kingdom, where you will hear what I consider to be one of the most powerful stories on life transformation, and that's the story of Carl Loco. Now, at one point, Carl was considered to be one of the most infamous gang leaders in all of the UK. And you fast forward about 30 years, and Carl is now considered to be one of the most influential people in the UK. He counts people like Prince Harry and Richard Branson as close friends. And I'm saying he's legitimately close to them, right? He vacations on Necker Island. He went to Prince Harry's wedding. They are truly his friends. Now, this is a story where you'll be able to pull lessons and takeaways that I guarantee will improve your life. But before you hear Carl's story, I want you to hit pause and go to paulcbrunson.com backslash better, right? B-E-T-T-E-R. Go there, make sure you're on our newsletter so you can get my takeaways and lessons from each episode. Now, are you ready to hear from the man himself and how he became one of the UK's most influential people? Well, here's the story of Carl Loco. Brixton is hands down my favorite place in all of London. Legend. It's my wife's favorite. Wow. It's my boy's favorite. Okay. Yeah. And I find that fascinating because, you know, we've we've seen a lot of London, but they feel most at home in Brixton. Wow. But when I'm in Brixton today, like 2019, 2020, right, in Brixton, yeah. you know what everybody tells me? This is not the way it used to be. Agreed. They're like, this is not the way it used to be. Yeah. But they almost say it nostalgic, like it was better. It was. Breakdown. What, yeah. <laughs> what was Brixton? Because I feel you're you're a son of Brixton. I mean, born and bred. What was, bring me back to Brixton. Yeah. The Brixton you knew. Do you know what? Being in it, I didn't see it like the outsiders saw it. So it was actually a no-go zone okay. for most people. So there was quite popular kind of um, landmarks. So we've got like certain nightclubs that are there, like the Fridge, which was a huge kind of um, nightclub and spot. Okay. We've got Dogstar, which is a really kind of famous pub that's still there till this day. And people would actually want to go to those venues, but literally they knew that there was a risk, <laughs> you know? So they would come and they would tread cautiously. And sometimes like the moment they're done, they are out of there, like out of the vicinity. And that was the closest they got to Brixton. And that was outside of the actual estates. Wow, okay. You know, the project housing areas, like that was outside of that. So in that, it was very like Afro-Caribbean. Yeah. You know, huge Afro-Caribbean. Like I actually didn't know I was British 20 years ago, but I knew I was Brixton. For really? sure. Oh, absolutely. You associated yourself differently. <laughs> totally. Really? Yeah, yeah, I was Brixton. I didn't know so much about, I had the Burgundy book, you know, <laughs> but other than that, like, Brixton is home. Like, even to this day, I might even travel somewhere. They'll be like, oh, were you from the Caribbean? I'm like, no, they're like, you got a Caribbean twang and now you speak. I'm like, I'm from Brixton. Yeah. That was like little Jamaica. Yes. You know? Yes. All my girlfriends going up were all Jamaican. <laughs> really? Okay. My wife See, now I like you even yeah, better. Yeah, my yeah, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so literally, that's just the lay of the land. Like, I grew up 
I was actually raised partially by a group of people that was associated with um, a place called Rasta House. Okay. And it's actually a place that's in Lambeth also, not directly in Brixham, but literally just on the outside of it, that um, Bob Marley actually bought. Really? Yeah, he bought it for the Rastafarian community. In Brixham? In literal Kennerton, Kennerton Oval. But it's literally a stone throw from Brixton. Yeah, gotcha. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Bought it for wow. them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, I mean, there's there's so much history. You know, there's a what is it? Um, actually, one of my favorite museums is the Black History Museum. Yeah, right on. Uh, what's that? Is it? Not, not I want to say Cold Harbor. Is that? It is off the Cold Harbor. Oh yeah, after, yeah, yeah. Right there, literally. Um, BCA. Yeah, Black Culture Archive. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, looking at how many how basically Brixton birthed the first black black millionaires yeah. in all of the UK, you know it's incredible incredible history, and and I think that's why we love going back. But then I think about okay, hold on, because yeah. when also when I say I'm going to Brixton, yeah. you know what the ca- when I jump in a cab they'll say it, to this day yeah. they'll say well why are you going there? Wow, these cab drivers, yeah. why are you going to Brixton? So help me to understand. Okay, we know. The Afro Caribbean, mm-hmm. the beautiful yeah. side. Yeah. What was the underbelly of Brixton? You know what? It was an experiment, or I would say a reaction. So, through the Commonwealth, you know, which was um, all the kind of colonized countries, the colonies are able to have a level of access, you know, to share and to create some sort of fairer ecosystem after the empire and all, you know, right. the effect of that. What that basically turned out to be was that if you came from a particular country that was a previous colony, you can get an access into the UK. You know, that was a thing. That's how my parents got here. That's how a lot of um, Africans and Caribbeans got in. And then an area like Brixton is where they would actually place us. Yeah? Yeah. But these areas in Brixton, to be able to house everyone, it was basically sardines. (laughs) So everyone's kind of really jam-packed, really quite small houses, I, I not even houses, small flats, literally two bedrooms. Like, and I mean, with like, it's just overcrowded. And the architecture, the design of it. Are these the council? These, these are, are the council estates. estates. Okay. I mean, it is an accident waiting to happen. It, it was almost on one level created as forts. It looked quite intimidating even to the outside. And when you're inside, it feels like you're kept. Right. Like you, you are retained. Tainted. You are here. Yeah. You know, like. Um, there was a few like estates like Stockholm Park Estate, Angeltown Estate and Mitesford Estate, which are very nori- notorious estates in Brixton. You could get from one estate to the other without touching the ground. You could literally walk over kind of like um, landings and tower kind of shaped things. Yeah. And literally it just made, especially with the um, the dealing at the time, it made it very hard for the police to be able to knuckle down and actually right. get. And then as a result, things happen. When you put, when you put people in a in a certain situation, and my estate, a lot of us, it had old people's homes and mental institutions in, in the estate. In the, in the state. Yeah, yeah, in the estate. Yeah. So it's it's almost like some it, social engineering that yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I mean it's, it's a pressure cooker, right? You know, in the in the states we call them projects. Yeah. And it's it's the same setup. But what I've noticed to be different here, and I don't know if this was the case in Brixton, uh-huh. is that what I noticed is that like in the states, like we'll have just all the projects are on that side of the, the railroad track, basically. Got you. Right? And then if you want to go to the higher income housing, it's all the way on that side. Got you. What I feel like here, at least throughout yeah. London, is, yeah. is that you've got council estates, mm-hmm. and then right next door, you've got- Absolutely. Daniel and Cobb's million pound houses. Yeah. Yeah. Was, was, that, was that Brixton too? Or, or no. no. 
No, no. no. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Brixton was a unique beast. It was it was definitely quite unique. Do you know what it is? It used to be Brixton. So Brixton was where the electric um avenue, this is where the electricity is generated. That's why it's called Electric Avenue. It had the okay. Morley's department store, which was like the Selfridges of that time. Okay. You know, and this is where the wealthy Charlie Chaplin lived there. Oh, Van really? Gogh lived there. Go- like, really? I mean, yeah, it was oh really, yeah, it was for the affluent initially. And then like they had a bit of a migration and then all the Afro kind of Caribbean was deposited there, but not in the same sort of houses. So what used to be like a masonette for one person right. has now been broken down and turned into seven homes. Oh, yeah. You know what I, I mean? Follow you. I follow so you. that was what it was. But mind you, there was like, so like a postcode neighbor in it would be like SE11, which okay. is Kennington. One of those smallest postcodes in London. No, I think it is the smallest postcode in London. And there is some very affluent homes over there. Gotcha. You know, so you could literally, with Brixton, not across the road, no. Because across the road was, again, more tower blocks and more kind of like dodgy architecture. Like Summerlayton Estate itself, which is another estate in Brixton, was about 70% to completion to be a prison. Okay. And about 70% through, they just t- turned it into houses. Just, it, so it's got the same level of window size you can hardly kind of- see. So it, yeah. it was a prison. It was an actual prison. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, that's like... You know, you, you talk about like the, the social engineering of it is that I think around the world, what yeah. happens is that we try to basically exclude a certain demographic. Agreed. Right? And clearly, this is this is what happened Absolutely. Right, in, in, in Brixton. So you grew up... What was the name of the council estate that you grew up in? Mites for their state. Okay. Yes. So this is... it. So from, from all the research I've done... Yeah. It sounds like this was the real deal. Yeah. It was notorious. <laughs> what was, at that time, what was it notorious for? I mean, just violence. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, yeah, heavy violence. It was like, I would, you would hear firearms being let off. You would, so there was a signboard that basically says, welcome to Mitesfield. Okay. And on that signboard, it had maybe about 15 bullets holes in it in it on the signboard that says welcome to Mitesfield and literally I ended up growing up and I I was used to think how did those holes get there you know I ended up growing up and adding my own holes you know so it's it almost became like a rite of passage that that's what you test like the firearm out on gotcha you know yeah so it's a mess you know so so but but growing up though one thing that I know about your story Mm -hmm. and I find to be actually not that not that different yeah. from the story of geniuses mm-hmm. is that at a young age, you were considered to be literally a genius. Yeah. Okay. So at what age were you when you actually recognized that you were, you know, you were intelligent, you were smart, you were charismatic? What, like what, when did you realize that you had something about you? It was, there was a bit of a, I got numb to the school kind of celebrating me. Because that was from really early on. They quite they identified it quite early on. Okay. Not in terms of the like the gene, genius diagnosis, but I was in the top set for everything, and it came pretty easy. Okay, you know. But what what age was that around? You um, think? I would say from like year two, and I think you're what f- five, five, six. I've said, oh wow, yeah. okay, it's so, early. Yeah, yeah, really early. I can okay. kind of like they get, gave me something and asked me like next week what they told me, and I could tell them. You know, and then they would all clap and then all of my papers would come back with just green ticks, smiley faces and 100%. And that that became, it was just the norm. Got you. You know, and I would read a lot of like my mother was a teacher in Ghana and her mother a teacher before her. 
So she would just buy so many encyclopedias. Like I, I could, academia was exalted in my house and I'll just tear through them, you know? And then it got to a point where I was actually teaching my older brother things wow. and he was four years older than me. You know, I could grasp the concepts more than he could at the time. So that, that was apparent. Okay. But what let me know that there was a real power with it and I was quite different was actually my imaginary friends. Your imaginary friends? Yeah. So oh. I had a bit of, a, I've always been a f sort of phantasmagoric sort of person anyway. And pretty early on, I had imaginary friends. And it actually kind of worried some of the people around me because I mean, I was really, it was quite vivid with me. Fascinating. You know, yeah. So they would travel with you? They would tra literally travel with me. Like if I was on, like in the car was, the time when a ninja would present himself. Like if my mate was a ninja <laughs> and literally he would like run over cars and jump from building rooftop to rooftop and he would keep up with the car no matter what pace it was going. Fascinating. And I'll just be watching this ninja somersault. And I mean, it was a thing. I, I could never get in a moving like vehicle and not see the ninja. And then if it weren't the ninja, it would be more kind of like um, big cats. Okay. Yeah, like, you know, lions. Like, like lions. Like lions yeah. and tigers and jaguars. I was obsessed with jaguars. I just loved their cult. I just loved what they represented, you know, how they moved. It was majestic. So I thought, you know what? I would be watching it at home and I just want to bring it into school. So I, I did that and I got actually picked on. What? For it because you you saw you were like there's a lion over <laughs> I there mean, and people I'll be like stroking it in, really? in the class yeah and then like students would actually pick on me for it on some level yeah okay we're like Carl is crazy absolutely <laughs> yeah. you know but I enjoyed it and then I remember one day I really went for it so I would only do it in certain places that I would deem safe spaces in school you okay. know I had some insight you know that this is not going to be accepted totally right but this day for some reason I don't know what happened I just started doing it in the morning playground out in front of everyone and it became a thing and even when they look I didn't cover or cower I just kept on going right and then it got the initial ridicule and then I mean till lunchtime which is like an eternity when you're younger yeah. so we had like two periods we had morning break then another period and then or two periods and then lunchtime yeah and i mean till lunchtime nobody subscribed and then at lunchtime something happened one person started doing it too and then literally two people started doing it and at the end of the school day i mean every single person had an imaginary big cat get out and that's that was the first day it spoke to me that was the day i realized that there's something here there's something for sure well you know <laughs> that that story i think illustrates so much about your path because I think at that point you recognize, okay, there was power within you, yeah. but there was also power within you to influence, yeah. right? So now walk me through, you're now, you're running around with imaginary friends, yeah. cats, lions. It's yeah. lions because you're hanging around with the Jamaicans. No, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, you, so you got all this, all, all that going on. You're considered a genius. Yeah. Family, stable. Yeah. Mom, dad Absolutely. in the home, work, working hard, present. Yeah. You got an older brother looking out yeah, for you. For sure. So- then what happens? Do you know what, what happens? It all happens, my man. Like when you're coming from certain communities and certain areas, you're just exposed to what you shouldn't be exposed to. I call it normal. I even will miss things in my story because even to this day, it is quite like it's trivialized to me because it's an everyday thing, sure. but it's not normal, you know? So one of the abnormal things that I now recognize was the fact that my brother was being mugged daily. You know, like I could tell by the knock on his on the door whether he was, you know, under pursuit, you know. I myself, people were trying to mug me, 
you know? So I was getting to the age where it was happening a lot more, like from 11 to 12. Right. Now they're punching me in the face, trying to take my bike from me, trying to take the money my parents has given me to go to the corner shop to buy, I don't know, like bread or whatever and it was. Would, yeah. and, and I would imagine too, you're probably targeted too, because you're, you're a big, big guy. guy. Yeah. This is it. Yeah, I started to stick out like a sofa and I looked older than I was. Yeah. So then they were approaching me and that just kept on happening. My mother's car's being broken into. But I think one of the big turning points for me was that my father was a man. I must be honest, like a man that I admire mm -hmm. because I, I never see him lose. He's cool, really. Mm -hmm. um, he's someone that likes to speak things through. He's quite a rational man. And when I was first attacked on my estate, he actually went to the house of the young man that attacked me, sat down with his parents and really tried to iron things out. Wow. Okay. And I thought that that was amazing. I could see it. I felt a relief. And then when I was leaving, the young man that attacked me and his older brother from the window said, watch tomorrow. They mimed it with the head. And I was like, wow, that don't work. <laughs> you know? So then like those sort of happenings. And then my father would go outside when my brother was maybe under pursuit and try to tell them like, you know, leave my sons alone. You right. know? And it got really risky for me because another young man's father was doing a similar thing in my community because young men was coming into the house and sometimes taking some of the PlayStation games, the video games. And on this one time, he went outside to tell them to stop doing what they're doing. It turned into a conflict. Someone stabbed him in his heart and he died. Damn. You know, and I'm like, he's dead over a video game. Right. And I saw him doing the same sort of thing my father was doing. So for me, I'm like, my days, my father's like one, you know, one interaction sure. away from a knife in the heart and going, you know? Right. So I was like, no, I got to fix this. And while I was having these thoughts, I also witnessed someone being shot um, when I was 12 years old, you know? And then the shooter right. after shooting the person ran over to where me and my friends were playing ball games, you know? Yeah. <laughs> literally took off his jumper, put it on one of our makeshift goalposts and literally took a brick from the wall, put the firearm there, put the brick back and made us play footy with him till the police came and went. You know, and that was all around. I mean, I'm 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 not speaking about a five year period. This is like maybe all within a year. Got you. And you're you 12 know, years old at 12 this point. 12 years old. You know, so my 12 year old brain gets to tick and how can I fix this? Right. You know, and it's like, if you can't fix, if I can't beat them, join them. But I had no clout to even join. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like sometimes. Because they're still mugging you at that 100%, point. 100%. I'm yeah. still there, you know. Yeah. I'm the awkward kind of, like even in my community to one point, there's been a huge shift now. But because the majority was Car um, Caribbean, I was actually picked on for being the African boy. You know, oh, little, interesting. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So your sure. family is from Ghana. Yeah, from Ghana. Right, and that makes yeah. sense too, because at that time, there's a heavy Jamaican, in particular, influence mm -hmm. at that time. Okay, absolutely. Okay, you know, like we actually, as a gang, we kind of took over from like the Yardi epidemic. Yeah. So it was the Yardies that controlled Brixton initially, and then when we came up, we ended up taking them, and they would kind of categorize us maybe as black reverts in terms of a lot of my friends were Muslim. You know, there was a huge Islamic kind of theme with our gangsterism. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. So this, so this is, all right, we're 12. Yeah, 12. Okay, at this point, and you see what's happening, potentially what could happen to your father. Absolutely. You realize that you want to make this change. Yeah. Right. You're inspired to make this change somehow. Yeah. What exactly do you do? Because cause this is what <laughs> I find interesting yeah. is, from what I understand, you didn't just join. Yeah. Like you created your own gang. For sure. Your own situation. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so how, how do you do that at 12? You know what? You just find other young men that are as scared as you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I didn't recruit like the creme of the crop. Like, not far from it. It was you anybody. Know? I mean, those that were in the same limbo. 
you know, they had to have like kind of, they're getting fed up. They're having enough of this at that point, gotcha. but they haven't quite established themselves, but they've got like a drive and a desire. I will recruit you. We are in, we band together and immediately, like just having company in fear made us a little less afraid. Interesting. You know, so I'm like, my days, this thing works. Wow. So you, you had know? basically a crew of misfits. Crew of misfits initially, for sure. We were neither here nor there. We were just as scared. We were probably even more scared once we kind of banded together and publicly said that this is what we're representing. For sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so at that point, then what do y'all get into? I mean, what, what was the move? Was I mean, it? it started off really quite like juvenile, really very innocent. You know, um, I, I was using school as a safe space to practice and to even rep. So we call it repping over here, like just representing or whatever it is. Okay. So I was doing that in school, not in any kind of violent way, but just us hanging together, us letting people know, you know, there's different areas in my school, you know, so they're now becoming a bit aware, you know, we're all going home. And now all we're saying is no to being robbed. That was how gangsterism started. Interesting. So initially it was, it was, defense. Just, it was just defense. It was like, no, nah, you're not taking our phone. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be like, what do you mean we're not taking? And then it'll kick off. That was our initial gangsterism. It was purely just defense. Wow. And then... I started to realize that if you wanted to move it to a level of immunity, you had to go from the defensive to the offensive. Mm. And that's when I went from, and me and my friends went from um, being victims to actually victimizing, you know? And there's a very famous railway robber in the UK called um, Ronnie Biggs. Okay. Yeah? And he's probably one of the most kind of, like, if you can only say it, celebrated criminals of the last like century yeah, in the UK. His grandson was actually my best friend growing up a little mixed race lad and yeah so we banded together and he was really good with the internet uh, so what he ended up doing is very early on kind of websites that were free what we were doing as friends hanging around with these new kind of introduction of our mobile phones right he was now taking some of the images that we were taking and capturing like on in our kind of residency and on our estate and putting it onto the internet and then literally it started to really kind of get some wow. traction. Yeah. That's wild. So, yeah. so, it's, it's all, so I mean, it sounds like <laughs> y'all were basically branding yourselves. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's 80 for, it's 80% PR. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's PR. for sure, for sure. So he was your publicist. Yeah, he was the publicist <laughs> and he did a good job <laughs> and it was free. Oh my God. <laughs> so he's putting these images. So y'all are out there basically gangbanging. Yeah. But then you would take the images, put them literally, online, literally. and then people. And then what would happen when they're online? I mean, more like clout, people basically. would start spreading it because he was some. Blah, blah, blah. Let me rephrase that. Mm -hmm. One of us were um, able to bring in a replica shotgun into the UK. Yeah. Okay. And with this replica shotgun, we started now. Um, we're posing with this shotgun now. We're at thirteen now. We're posing with the shotgun. Um, so we are now bringing it to certain events, doing things with it, you know. It, but it can't um bang. It can't shoot. You know, okay. it's not. It's not drilled through or converted. You know. So, but Im immediately we've started to kind of get a, a feeling of power. Right. Right. You know, and when you're coming from, as I said, my parents were, um, I actually, I haven't mentioned that, but my parents were um, illegal immigrants. They came to the country. They never had no stay. So what it kind of, there's a feeling of powerlessness. Mm -hmm. It's a theme. You know, I, I, I like you, the aim is to be seen and not heard. You yeah. know, th that's the theme, right. you know, and an antidote to that is brutality. You know, if you are quite brutal, it does give you a false sense of being powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, so we didn't understand it was actually ministering to this need because we did feel very displaced. We did feel very vulnerable. Right. And this kind of like this falling in love, this lust with the violence and the 
firearms and the knives, it actually gave us a feeling and we just got addicted to it. And you just continued you know? it. Continued. continued. It went from replicas to actual firearms. It went from posing with them in pictures to making sure we are not photographed, right. you know? Um, and yeah, like it became like our response. I wouldn't, we wouldn't go to the Dallas shop, which was like the chicken shop. We would not go without firearms. Without yeah. I mean, it was impossible. We didn't leave our house without it. I left my house every day with a level three bulletproof vest on. Every day? Every day. I got at, back at till the step um, from about 16. Yeah, every single day. So, you know? so, so, so talk to me about, I would imagine at that time, because your PR is, is great at that time. Yeah, for sure. That folks like, like people are joining. Yeah. Right. So you're growing in numbers. Yeah. You're growing in strength. That gang actually, I had a mutiny. So I learned, I learned like, <laughs> I learned quite early on, like leadership, you know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had a huge mutiny with that gang, had to dissolve it actually, you know? So I can actually say it now. The gang was called MAD, it was Mayhem and Disaster. And that gang there, just, I weren't leading properly. You know, wow. it taught me that you can't be anything without the people that you're leading, wow. you know, because I started to become, it became a bit of a throne room for me, you know, because I was one of the kind of, I started the gang, you know, so in my head, I've got a bit of a, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm swinging some of my weight and I'm very good at fighting. Mm -hmm. And like a fight was kind of almost nothing in my community. So I would say like, if my friends like cheesing me off, I'd be like, all right, let's just go outside. I take off my top and then I might beat him up and then he's now, I'm over it because we got it out of our system. I'm thinking, yeah, well, young bulls, you know, we've just tough, right. like, let's get back to being friends maybe. And then they're holding a, a vendetta and then they actually like really tried to put me down one time. And then that gang got dissolved and I was no, I was a nomad. I was, I was homeless, no gang, no group for a little while. And then I thought, you know what? It's either evolve or be extinct. I was at like a cross junction, you know, it was actually going the wrong way for me in that kind a, like industry if you want to call it that and I said you know what, the only way I'm really going to make some headway is if I join like a blue chip in the area you know like, like the like main the, kind the main of get, yeah. you know so then I made that jump you know like I and I faked it to make it like I wasn't in initially I just kept on kind of presenting myself you know and um like they always speak about like the old model of a one initiation kind of thing that you yeah. do and then get you in. That's not it, man. It's like the fashion industry, man. Uh, yesterday becomes redundant quickly. Initiation is every day. You know, you just, right. you got to keep on go. You know what I mean? So I just kept on doing that. And then eventually I actually became um, this group and I actually helped build its younger faction. Wow. you know of this group you know and then so it was like more of an entrepreneur angle rather than an entrepreneur angle you know yeah. so they already existing they had some clout and this was also with the islamic twang you know yeah so, so this yeah. is interesting so yeah. so because you got this islamic faction yeah right you've got africans in the mix now mm -hmm. i'm sure there's still some caribbeans there oh for sure well, it's getting about 50 50 now okay yeah so at its height yeah. Right? When when the gang at that point is at its height. Yeah. What do you think in terms of and I actually I like breaking it down as far as like numbers. Yeah. Because what I find to be most fascinating is you you know, you just talk about how you develop leadership skills, Absolutely. right? Business. In DC, right, yeah. where I live is have you ever heard of Rafael Edmond? I haven't. Rafael Edmond was one of the most notorious gangbang slash drug dealers in the United States. Got you. At his height his empire was doing $300 million a year. Wow. So that's how wow. much he controlled. His wow. net worth was 50 million, you Believe know, US. Yeah. And he was in his 20s. 
And what I always, and actually to this day, that was that was in the late 80s. To this day, when they knock down homes in DC, yeah. they'll knock down the wall, there'll be like $100,000 in cash will fall out because wow. he couldn't launder the money yeah. fast enough. So yeah. they had to bury it, you know? Unreal. But what I always say is, damn, think about how much skill he had at 22 yeah. to manage this this empire absolutely so so what what tell me what did the empire yeah. look like at its at its heyday at its heyday it was <laughs> i'm trying to make the audience not like me um it was <laughs> you know we were effective like mm-hmm. it was uh um it was still very much a street level gang right you know um, it wasn't like some grandiose sort of organized crime you know, it was, there was elements of it that had to be organized in order to, but it wasn't. It was still very much the wild, wild west, you right. know. Um, but to maintain that power and to p- maintain that position. And I mean, we were all over South London, you know. So like we kind of sp- span the entire borough, you know. So like it got to a point where there's an area called Fulton Heath. Okay. And there was a group like we would have like an abbreviation of our actual gang name. And then the TH at the beginning to represent them. Oh, wow. And then there was like- Y'all have franchises. I mean, literally, (laughs) there was a Tulsil group as well. And we'll put T at the beginning of it to represent them. Wow. There was literally a Waterloo um, group. And we would put a W at the beginning to represent them. You know, like, I mean, it really quite, like, I was arguably probably the most popular street level gang member in London at the time. You know, and- yeah, even with the music, it, it accelerated our musical stance. I was I was kind of given a hood celebrity sort of status. Yeah. Back then it was just Bluetooth. You know, I could release a song on Bluetooth and in about a month I have cousins in Luton that will tell me that, yeah, the songs reached them. Wow. And I mean, you had to stand next to someone to actually send the song to the other person, <laughs> you know? So literally like it was, different day. Yeah. you know, <laughs> totally different day. Yeah. So literally like, yeah, it was, it was, it was happening. And like, we made our, we had our reputation. It was from being basically savages. Like we were like, not like we were what other gang members would even call savage, you know? So we made most of our money from robbing drug dealers. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be a certain level of kind of like savage to be able to, to rob, rob drug, drug dealers, dealers. you know? Yeah. You yeah. have to present yourself and when you enter, you have to enter hard and you have to, and you have to be able to say that, you know what, these guys are also outside of the law. So there'll be ramifications right. from doing that act. But we kind of lived in a way where not that we were immune to those ramifications, but we could handle it. Right. You know? so, so then how in the world does the most notorious gang banger mm. in all of London perhaps at that time, maybe all of the UK, right? Carl Loco, how do you then say no to all that? Yeah. I mean, because that's like, how do you say no? Because I would imagine at that, so how old are you at that point? That, I'm at a, the transition point? Transition point, I'm about 18, 19. I mean, you're yeah. 18, 19, yeah. you're running the streets, yeah. you've got money. Yeah. Girls, I'm sure, are coming sure. your way. Yeah, yeah. All the I competitions, mean, premiership footballers. See? Yeah, yeah for sure. You have, so, so what? Why? Why 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 change? Do you know what? If I'm gonna be totally honest, I didn't want to change. <laughs> like I had I had manifested it. This is what I wanted. You know, I had this vision, you know, like obviously the byproduct of it is not what I wanted, but in right. terms of it did like they went from breaking into my mom's car to helping her with her shopping up the stairs. Yeah. You know, in my community we can make Christmas happen. Mm. you know like um 
like people will call me and say, oh, this is happening with my son or my daughter and I can sort that out. You know, like the old ladies in my community see the police coming and will tell me. Mm. They'll be like, hey, son, do you know? Because they love us. Right. We, you know, we are, we are members of our community. Right. You know, we are giving back. You know, um, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And on this side, we are freedom fighters, mm -hmm. you know? So, and I used to see what I was doing in terms of being an evangelist for this thing. I thought I was actually handing out salvation. Mm -hmm. I thought I'm saving you lots lives. I'm actually helping you, you know, like with the cards we've been dealt, this is the best way to get the most chips, you know? So I was very comfortable there, mm -hmm. you know? So my actual coming out was, I wouldn't say an accident. It was the grace of God. It was totally not on my agenda <laughs> it met me right you know and um it came through the form of a woman called pastor mimi and her son was actually my right hand man in the gang that we were in you know um she wanted to save her son ultimately you know but she thought that her son was maybe out know smoking weed and doing other little and not listening stuff, you know but he didn't even smoke weed. It was much more worse than smoking weed. He wanted to, you know, he was, his only objective was to smoke people, you know? So a lot different, like, yeah. a lot different, you know? So she, I always put it this way. She ended up biting off more than she can chew and she chewed it anyway. That is who I would say Pastor Mimi is and what she did with us. Okay, so, you know? so, so she came in intervention. Yeah. Intervention. Even though I didn't want the intervention. Yeah. I didn't want it. You know, so she of she needed it. it was necessary for her. You know, I didn't know it was necessary for me till now, you know. Right. But I wasn't so she wanted to reach her son, mother-son dynamics hard to reach the son. So she thought maybe if she could reach one of his mates, it might cross-pollinate. And that's exactly what she ended up doing. And it worked. She was successful. When you break down two or three like concepts yeah. that she used to really bring you back. Yeah. What were those? Because there's so many mm. folks who want to go through i've heard you talk about the 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 caterpillar yes butterfly yes right beautiful 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 analogy there's so many of us that want to go through that metamorphosis mm -hmm. right what are the concepts that she used that that really worked i would say a empowerment okay she empowered us so she appealed to my ambition which is, because <laughs> yeah. I was very ambitious. Hence yes. why even we manifested this and created what we had created, you know? She said, why have Brixton when you could have Britain? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And she meant it in terms of legitimately. She was like, you lot kind of operate in the underworld, in the shadows. The mainstream ain't acknowledging it. It's not a contribution or a legacy you can leave for those when, once you leave. Wow, that's deep. You know? That's powerful. I mean, yeah. and it really began to mess with my, you know, I'm like, my days, we're risking our life for this. Mm -hmm. Like we're putting it all on the line every single day for this. And what, they can't eat it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't even want to feed it to my children tomorrow. Like at the time I had no kids, but I was like, I know they're going to come eventually. Right. So I'm like, my days, I wouldn't put my son, I wouldn't show my son how to, <laughs> you know, rob drug dealers and to sell drugs and create lines. So I'm like, yeah, this maybe is not future. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time she got me questioning it and also got me feeling like I could be, you know, um, she did that through biblical stories too. Okay. So she brought in David and Goliath. That was a big one that hit with me. It resonated with me hugely mm -hmm. because Goliath for me was like the um, lack of social mobility. Goliath for me 
was all the kind of disadvantages that I had, like aesthetically, community wise, my accent, you know, all my colloquial kind of speech, you know, the trauma I had gone through, all of these different things, you know, my socioeconomic situation, that was Goliath. Okay. And she was like, Goliath can fall with a stone. And I was like, you know what, we haven't got anything else, but I'm sure we got stones, Yes. you know? Yes. So I felt yes. empowered. And on the flip side also, she showed me that gangsterism was deception. Deception. Absolutely. She, I used to think I was a, like I was gang, I was a gang member, whatever we called that. I was a road man, we call it in the UK. I was a road man, I was road. She said, no, you're not that. You have embraced the ideology of gangsterism. You're not a gangster. It's an ideology. Mm -hmm. And she said, people are not what you do. People are who they are. Right. She made a big difference. Like she differentiated the two. So if someone was a lawyer, they're not a lawyer. They do law. Like she, anything you like you did, she said that's not who you are. Yeah, brilliant. You know, and it's when brilliant. she did that, it really kind of started playing with me. So I'm like, all right, cool. If it's something I've embraced and it's not who I am, maybe I can put this down. Okay. I don't want to put it down, but now I know there's an option to put it down. Because once upon a time, I actually thought that this is me. This is it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, just on that journey, kept on going. And eventually she showed me that love conquers all, you know, mm -hmm. and I bought into that. I put it to the test. Did, did you cold stop or did you transition? Oh, no, there's no cold stop when you're involved in what I was in. I mean, you can't, you're not allowed to cold stop. Like, I mean, yeah, you're just not allowed to cold stop. Like someone will get like shot or stabbed and there, there needs to be a response, right. you know? And my, my community has looked at to me in a particular way for so long that you know that it's, it's almost like a responsibility, you know? And then also I've been kind of crapping where I've been sleeping for years. So it's a very smelly situation. Mm -hmm. So even me leaving my house, like it, there's potential something can kick off. Mm -hmm. My door's getting kicked off by Trident, which mm -hmm. is like the gang kind of section for guns the and the rest of it in the UK, in London especially, actually. Like, so the tr Trident know me very well. You know, I'm being arrested here and there, you know, um, like they're still like- So it's a slow, and, it's a slow transition. I mean, the transition was, I moved in with Pastor Mimi. Okay. Her home became like a rehabilitation center. I actually moved in with her. And I would say it took about two to three years to totally get out. Totally. Totally get totally out. Totally get out. Okay. Yeah. So what what year is it when you were out? Oh, you were done. I, I'm, I can't, I'm not what? sure what year it was, but I know how old I was. Okay, how old were I you? I think I was 21. You are 21. So 21, you're 21. Yeah. yeah. Then what do you do? What, what's the job like? What, yeah. I mean, I mean, at that point, what do you do? Yeah, the problem is there is no job. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, it, it was an odd one. So... It was the greatest thing and the worst thing that could happen, like all things, you know? It's got like, I love like the Chinese word for, um, what is it, chaos and opportunities, the same, uh, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I love that. It was- it The was gift and the curse. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was absolutely that, like, that's where we were, you know? Um, I had been derailed from what I was involved. I totally denounced it. I was out, I had publicly stated it. You know, people started to see me as a mediator, you know, a peacemaker rather than anything else. 
But now I'm left with a blank slate and I just, I don't have a pen. I don't have a pencil. My blank slate is not technically blank because it's really dirty. Yes. And even if you do draw on it, you can't really kind of see the line because it's just filled with kind of like soot and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I I mean, and also you, you have no connections. Nothing. At this point. I've got connections. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, yeah, you, you, sure. you know, but it's not. But yeah, you don't have the. You get what you need, you know. <laughs> Well, you can get what you needed. You know what I mean? So, so so you are like at. I mean, you're not even at ground level. No, you're minus ten. Minus ten. I always put it as it's minus ten. Minus ten. So twenty one minus ten. Scar on my face. Um, six foot five black man, low socioeconomic situation. Like, I mean, all of my. I spoke differently. I had like my lingual syntax is not what it was then. You know, I created Mm -hmm. this. You know, so like I. I, I didn't even know I didn't have a bank account, didn't have a signature. Um, my friend got murdered on the day before my GCSE exams. So I had no GCSEs. I just wrote his name on all of the answers. Like, I mean, it was a mess, you know, like PTSD to my eyebrows, yeah. you know, like you couldn't sit next to me. I don't sit. I would never do what I'm doing now with my back to a door. To, to no way. Impossible. Like I sit there, you know, yeah. and yeah, it was just a mess, you know? So, so personal development. <laughs> All right, pardon the interruption, guys. I just want to spend a moment to thank Switch and Board. It's a podcast studio in Washington, D.C., owned by a good friend of mine. And if you like the production quality of this podcast, if you like this track as much as I do, which I love it, it's all thanks to them. Now, Switch and Board specializes in podcasters like me and you who are busy. We travel a lot because not only have they mastered in-studio production, guess what? They've mastered remote podcasting production. That's right. So you could be anywhere in the world and Switch and Board has you covered. Now, if you want to learn more from Switch and Board, I want you to go to paulcbrunson.com backslash studio. That's S-T-U-D-I-O. And let me put you on. And now, back to the show. I know it sounds a bit like it was literally <laughs> personal. It was personal development. Like, I mean... so. Tony Robbins, like I mean, some of it. Really? So um what it got to was, oh, what was the genesis of it? So all right. I realized that in order to have more, I needed to become more. Yeah? And I f- sat with that. I'm I, I, I like to ponder. I okay. like to chew on things, you know, and I began to think about what it does it mean to actually become more. So I did my investigating, you know? And that investigation led me to reading. Ah. Uh. Reading. Reading. There we go, Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. I read a book a week for um, two years. A book a week? Book a week for two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it. And I mean, it was hard initially because I get to words I don't understand. I have to write down the word. But then it ended up creating another practice where I learned 10 to 15 words a day. Right. Because as I'm just reading my six chapters or whatever it is that day, I now stumble upon words that I don't understand. And right. it's like potholes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, so in order for my car not to like, you know, so I had yeah. to really, you know? Yes. So I just started learning those words as I was reading those books and it was just expanding my kind of, the way I saw myself, I saw the world. And it made me know that there's a level of plasticity to who I am, mm. that it can be molded. And then I thought, you know what? What examples do I have of molding myself? And I was like, listen, the gang leader ex-gang leader who was locks they used to call me yeah locks a million baghdad's giant um a general that like in that field i created that person right 
Right. Like that's not who my mother gave birth to. Right. Like I mean, like I was a real kind of bookworm. You know, really scared. Like extreme mummies, boy. Late bedwetter. Wow. You know, I had it all going in the opposite You were 12, direction. wet in the bed. You know, 12 yeah. and wet in the bed. You know, relentlessly. You know? So, like, I was scared of sleepovers, yeah? <laughs> so, literally, like... But, yeah, I became that person. Yeah. And I was like, I can become again. Mm. So, I just said, you know what? This is me becoming. And I got obsessed. It was a singular focus. And I just went for it. I mean, every single, single day. day. Did, did you have a vision of, okay, I want to be... The most influential per- man in Britain. M-I-M-I-B. The most influential man, man in Britain. Britain. So at, that tw- was it. at 21, yeah, that you was had it. switched to that. That was it. And everything became about everything. that. Everything. If it didn't feed into that, I didn't, I, I, I didn't partake in it. Wow. Yeah. I, I find that fascinating yeah. because you basically put up your north star yeah you said this is this is where i'm going yeah and then you built the the plan to absolutely it. so personal development was part of the plan personal development what else was on the plan you know what is i took from what i was used to so like in terms of biblically it spoke about this person being a fisher of fish i make you a fisher of men which is absolutely an upgrade right. and i wanted an upgrade and then pastor mimi also showed me in terms of David being a shepherd of sheep and then becoming a shepherd of people. Mm-hmm. And I just kept on seeing, I'm like my days, like you can be a, pris- a, a dreamer in the prison, but when you come out, like you can interpret dreams in the palace. Like it was always connected. Yes. So I was thinking, what did I have going for me on the street level? And mine was definitely relational power. I had, I didn't know what a drought was. Yes. You touch me, you make a lot of people angry. You know, it was just, and that was based on relationships. Okay. So I said, you know, what? I'm going to superimpose it into this. Interesting. And then I, I, I became, I became relationship focused. Interesting. You know, so I began to build a network. And how that started is that I, I mean, I used the stones angle, the thing that's free, and I could throw it. Yes. I started to think, what's free and I can throw? And for me, it was email. <laughs> All right. So, 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 <laughs> so. What, what, what was the first, I would say, relationship? that you built, like cold relationship that you built, that you were, you know, you were proud of. You thought, wow, I, I like, I, I did this. Yeah, I would say with, mm, I would say with the late Dame Tessa Zhao. Okay, tell, all right, yeah. tell me about that so and, and how, how you did that. Yeah, so she was the, previously the MP for Dulwich, which is quite like an affluent area in um, London. Okay. Um, which is also not far from Brixton, you know? She heard me speaking at a place and I went there purely. I took like with my pastor, I took about maybe a hundred youth over there uh-huh. because we needed a place to run what the interventions we were doing in the community and the place where we were using, they were telling us that we needed to get out. So I basically told them why they need to keep us in. I was not a speaker. I just spoke. She heard me speak, was so moved, it brought her to tears. She came and said, not only does she want to help us out with this, but she said she wants me to do what I did in this room and any other room she's in. Mm. you know so then I was like all right cool I don't know exactly what that looks like but I'm a sort of guy I'll say okay you know and I just said okay so you said okay I said okay and off right. the back of that like I, she was a big part of like the labor party okay you know and then I started doing sp- talks where they were speaking alongside Ed Miliband who was the leader of the you know labor party at that time and yeah it was just kind of just alien situation then we developed a relationship okay yeah so so now you developed a relationship yeah but i just want to break that down a little bit because i think a lot of people wonder well how do i truly develop a relationship because a a relationship is give and take absolutely so what are you 
strategically, what are yeah. you giving to that relationship? Where, you know what's what? the value? Do you know what? It, 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 was, it was funny because I've had, it's been a weird thing. Okay. I read in a book, yeah, one of the many books, I can't even remember which book it was, but it says, when it's darkest, that is the best time for light. Mm, yeah. Okay. And for me, I didn't see light. We, we can have our own kind of variations on, what, and, on definition of what light is. But for me, it was the opposing thing. Darkness, light. Okay. I'm like, all right, I am entering a, 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 a space where no one knows me and no one's like me. And I began to kind of realize quite quickly that that made me valuable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, because so many people shy away from that. Absolutely. They say, "There's no one like me. I yeah. don't want to go." No. Instead, you, you were go like, there, you're "Go, the only one." Yes. Like, you're the only one. I mean, yeah. like they kind of stuck with me. You know. So, right. literally, like, I, I, yeah, I realized that. Like, they just wanted to. They wanted someone that could, and again, changing my lingual syntax, a lot of reading, and then I learned there. I always say I'm trilingual. Mm. Yeah, and I can only speak English. Mm. Yeah, yes. but I know because I, I, I am a social commuter and I maneuver and navigate in the tapestry we call London and England and the UK and the world because majority of the world speak English. Yeah? Yes, but I know how to speak their English. Yes, so I actually studied them. I can use my forks. You know, I can use my knives. Like so, can, so, so you studied that. I studied that cleaning, cleaning up how you talk. Hundred percent. You study all the social. I, mean, I am from Brixton. We could be having a normal conversation right now. Someone will think we're arguing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's yeah. like, right, what's yeah. what you said? Nah, nah, nah. Hands yeah, are bobbing like, off. Yeah. Like you would it's actually, louder. Right, well, yeah, we, yeah we're loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they will get quite like, start, oh my days, look at what's going on over there. They think that's respectable. Right. I'm like, this is just a great, <laughs> I just ain't seen right, you. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, you know we're having I mean? a good time right now. You know now. what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so I started to realize, so I actually had to put myself in a blender, actually. Mm. You know, I I had to I had to change. I did. Like I'm, I'm not gonna lie and say I didn't change. I had to change. I had to create an outward. So the inward, like you can't touch that. But I had to create an outward communication of who Carloco is that was palatable with this group. Okay. And I created that. Okay. So then it enabled me to be able to go to the parties, the bar mitzvahs, yes. the, the dinner dates, the, the the coffees, the brunches, you know, the conferences. It enabled me to be able to come over for dinner and do all of these next stuff, visit that, the country home and all of this sort of stuff here. And then as I was able to do that, I became a bit of a conversationalist. You know, I made sure if, as I'm well-read, I knew stuff that I stayed well-informed, like I subscribed to The Spectator, The Economist. I made sure I was in the know. Mm -hmm. So we could go, you know, like we could dance. Yeah. So, so, so now, how, but how do you reconcile that? Because a lot of people will say, all right, I hear that. Yeah. But then he was, he was, he was selling out then because mm. at that point, he's someone who he's not. How, do you, how my, do you respond to that? Yeah. So I wouldn't have been okay with it initially. Yeah. Okay. And I did share that same sentiment. Yeah? Okay. What ended up happening was, um, again, another biblical story, yeah? It was um, Joseph the dreamer, yeah? Yes. And he, as a Hebrew man, has now come into a, 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 another nation, which is, they're not Hebrews, yeah? They're not Israelites, yeah? Or whatever it was, yeah? And the Egyptians, the nation he's in, they were quite clean shaven. Not even quite, they were very clean shaven. Facial hair was something that was not deemed okay, you know? So when he was then being presented to Pharaoh, he then removed his facial hair. Okay. You know, you and I was like, all right, am I my beard? 
<laughs> it was all of these questions. It's like, what I am I? Like, I was like, am I the JD tracksuit? Mm -hmm. But I'm like, that's no JD. That's their tracksuit. Mm -hmm. That's I wear that, but is that who I am? Right. I'm like, am I the tea? Now I drink black Americano, but I'm like, am I the black Americano? Right. You know, I'm like, first it was, I don't know, McDonald's or whatever it is, or Dallas or the chicken shop or whatever it is. Now I'm eating like creperies. I'm like, am I the crepe? Am I the, <laughs> you know, I'm, I started right. to say, no, that's not actually who I am. You know, who I am is my core values. Who I am is my mission statement mm. and my purpose and what I deem to be my contribution, mm. you know, so... I didn't let that get in my no, way. Like, Some people will be uncomfortable with it. Right. I must be honest. Like, it's not like they didn't learn my language. You know, they didn't. And as a minority, like, I believe that it's kind of our kind of, it is an overall in a utopian future. The desire and our collective destiny should be one of understanding. And even if you are part of the majority, you should dedicate yourself to learn the minority language and culture and all the rest of it. But we don't live in a utopia. Right. We live in London, in the United Kingdom in 2019, you right. know, so- it's a, it's, a, it's a different scenario. I had to learn it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you, I mean, I think this is fascinating that you spent time, diligence, focused yeah. on in self-empowerment, yeah, right? for sure. And, and then your focus is most influential man in, in Britain. Britain. Right. Sure. So now you make a connection that I think cements the fact that you have become, and this is the Prince Harry connection. Yeah. And and, th 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 and, and this this is this this interests me. It, I will say this interests me on many different levels. Yeah. But one in particular is that you've got the son of South London Brixton. Yeah. Right. Council estates. Yeah. For sure. Son of illegal immigrants. Yeah. Meeting with the son of. The royal family, and not just meeting, but connecting yeah. and becoming brothers, essentially. Yeah, for sure. How did that happen? I mean, two people from completely yeah. different worlds. Yeah. Do you know what it is? During my social commute, I did discover, I came to some reality. So I went uptown initially, yeah, on a mercenary level to bring resources downtown. Okay. Downtown was still, and that's why I, I didn't mind how much I shaved off my beard, because I knew it was going to bring resources, passage, solution right. to my direct community, yeah? But when I went uptown, I kind of <laughs> anticipated meeting aliens, genuinely. Like, I thought I was gonna meet Martians, yeah? <laughs> right, sure. right. So I kind of went up there, that kind of, I had my gloves on, I'm like, I gotta be safe. Like, you know what I mean? I had my mask on, <laughs> don't breathe their air, you yeah. know, like all of that. So I went there and then before I knew it, like I took off the mask and I weren't choking. I was like, oh my days, what, they breathe air too? Oh, they bleed blood too. Mm -hmm. Oh, they got fears too. Oh, what they share love too. And I started to realize actually, no matter who you are, no matter what your story is and where you come from, we all have more in common than indifference. I know that. Right. Like, I mean, you cannot convince me otherwise. You know, it's almost like on a DNA level, it's even proven. We have more in common than indifference. You know, so just understanding that, that helped me to be open in a way that was genuine. You know, human beings can tell what's authentic. Right. They're very good at sussing. It's like, oh, that, that's that's crap. Or, oh no, this is real, you know? Right. Right. So I was able to go in there with a level of realness. You know, they could feel it on me, you know? And also the streets helped me because violence was my currency for so many years. The streets and my faith, it was a wicked combination. It's interesting. Yeah, because on one level I had to learn 
to oppose like like I've had guns in my face on several occasions, you know? And I have had to, at that time, muster some sort of courage to tell the person there that basically, if you do that, like you, like, don't do that. Right. You don't want that, right. yeah? Right. And at that moment there, to convince someone who's got the clear upper hand, you have to summon something, you know? And I got good at summoning that. So on some level, I had to become quite immune to status and what's happening all the bells and the whistles so that level of immunity and also on the street level like on the sharp end of the situation no pun it's a fact that you know that you can be here today and gone tomorrow mm -hmm. like human beings are very fragile so it really humanized human beings being from the street you know and then that it. also coupled with my faith element the fact that i'm like listen i stand before god every single day and i'm like you know i just men like I spoke to God this morning, so I'm okay, right. you know? Right. So that kind of coupled with that made me like, and they felt that, they feel it. Like I walk into a room and I don't come in as just like I'm from a council estate. I am council estate royalty. Right. Like we got royalty in common, right. you know? So you're going to feel that on me. I'm going to flow with that. And yeah, we're going to be able to connect, you know? Because just no fear. Right. You know? It was it was peers connecting. For sure. Peers, yeah. absolutely. Otherwise yeah. you can't connect. Right. You know, it has to be that level of equal kind of, yeah. So you made the connection with Prince Harry. Yeah. By the way, I saw you and Cassie, you, you, what, what you wore to the royal wedding. Yeah. Was, I thought it was phenomenal. Thank you I so much. I thought you guys much, looked man. good. Thank you looked real so good. Real I mean, good. first things first, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, most important, <laughs> yeah. your wife looked beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You were all right. Yeah, you yeah. that out. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, so, so the idea that, okay, this is basically your boy. Yeah. Okay, this is basically your friend. Yeah. But you've continued with the connections. And I wanna yeah. talk about Richard Branson for a second because yeah. Richard Branson is someone who, I think out of all of the entrepreneurs who have come out of the UK, uh -huh. is probably he has the highest level Absolutely. of status in the United Absolutely. States, yeah. right? I would say even in the United Kingdom. In the United Kingdom, okay. I would say globally. Globally. Some of, coming out of the UK. So there sure. you go. So this is someone who around the world, people actively want to connect with. Yeah. And I go online and I see you hiking mountains yeah, with him yeah, and hanging out. So how did, were you intentional about making that connection? No, and then how did that actually, happen? So by that time I was already connected. Okay. So I spoke about Dame Tessa Jow, yes. that initial connection. But what happened after that was a cluster. Mm. Yeah. So I um, ended up winning some competition, big ideas for London, create the first UK's, the UK's first therapeutic community gang rehabilitation center. Okay. I wanted to create the space. Um, they told me that they're going to give me a, um, a hotel room, a dinner setting, and I can bring people in, a dream team to create this and incubate this idea. I said, this is awesome. This needs to exist. Let's make it manifest. I ended up creating like a guest list of insane people around the table that I expected them to bring to the table. They and with this list, I gave it to them. They gave it back to me and said, "No, no, we just provide the space." I was <laughs> like, "Oh, <laughs> so how am I going to get them here?" And I mean, it was the head of the Rothschild Bank, UK, Europe. But I'm talking about it was the right honourable Ian Duncan Smith, head of the Conservative Party. It was um the biggest like superstar in the um Britain at that time pop in terms of Plan B. Okay. It was the biggest PR man, the one that launched done Reebok and G-Unit. He launched Pokemon here. He did Orange Wednesdays, Rihanna River Island. He's wow. like the main man, Mark Whedon. It was him. It was a ridiculous lineup. And I hit up to about 12 of them on email. They're PAs, PAs, PA. And out of the 12, 10 got back to me. So you personally emailed them? I did them. that personally. I didn't even have an email address. I had to make the email address to email them. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
See, see, this is like this is the groundwork that I don't think a lot of people realize. For they sure. probably thought, oh, you had somebody doing yeah, that. Somebody, nah, nah, nah. no, you were putting in the work. Out you had there. to identify the email. Absolutely, okay, I went on Google, found out little bits about them, made it personal, told them, listen, I'll meet them anywhere in the UK, and I meant that. I didn't even know how I was going to get there, and I all I want is fifteen minutes and a cup of coffee, which I will pay for. And out, like, of, 12, out of 12, 10, go back to me, yeah. Was Richard Branson on that list? No, he wasn't. Okay. <laughs> and out of the 10, nine got back to, nine met with me. At wow. Dinner. Yeah. Okay. So that started, I mean, my start was insane and it just snowballed and avalanche from there. Okay. You know, so it's just been going. Okay. So like if they, like, like, obviously we know what's what, like even in terms of like a Forbes list, like if you know money, you know, wealth is diversified globally. You keep money in different places. You can't really suss who's got what. Right. It's impossible. Right. Yeah. So like if they were to do a list and say, oh yeah, the most kind of well-connected, like I don't know, 30s, under 30s or anything. If I'm not on that list, they don't know what they're really like talking about because that was the beginning. That, was, that was seven years ago, eight years ago. Eight years ago. And you've just been building since. I mean, one person introduced you to another and the 1%, the 0.1% is very small in the UK. Very, 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 very small. I mean, it's a small country in terms of like, it are across the pond cousins, right. the Atlantic. It's like, I mean, and then London is small and then the 1% small and I'm not even with the 1% mainly, I'm with the 0.1%. So it's even smaller. Right. Like, I mean, everyone knows everyone. The only other black guy in the room usually is Saul Campbell. <laughs> you know, like, and he's there with the, like the PFA, Premiership Football Association charity or whatever it is. And like, literally like, I mean, I was attending those kind of functions. And I like to go out then as yeah. well. I like to be out in there to feel it. I like to socialize. So I mean, I was there, and it wouldn't almost it almost wouldn't be a thing if I weren't there. Right. It would be like, oh, when's car getting here? Really? You know? Really? Yeah. So, right, so, so this, this is, so, you know, when you said that you that was your goal at twenty one, yeah. become Britain's most most influential person, yeah. most most influential man in particular. Yeah. What I realize is, is I I think you've done it. <laughs> I think you've not done on it. some level. I think for sure. Done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like, it's really hitting me. Wow, yeah. this man has done this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you think about how, mm -hmm. the skills, yeah. the top three skills. Now, tell me what you think about this. So my wife and I, last night, were watching your TED Talk. Yeah. And we watched the TED Talk, and I was like, Jill, so my wife's name is Jill, and I was like, all right, Jill, what do you think, where do you think his super skills are? Because I think yeah. everybody has superpowers. Mm -hmm. What do you think your, his superpowers are? And we yeah. made it a game. Yeah. She wrote it down. Okay. And then I wrote my super, what I thought were your superpowers yeah. down three. And we both said the same three things. Wow. Now I'm, I'm curious to as to what those three are. What, what you think. So <laughs> one is we said that you have exceptional oratory skills, like top 1% in the world oratory skills. Secondly, is that you are incredibly curious mm. your curiosity is off the charts yeah. which that makes you of interest yeah. and then makes things interesting to you yeah <laughs> but then third and this is fascinating you're doing oh, it right now you always smile <laughs> <laughs> you always smile agreed you know agreed. it's fascinating i mean i'm listening to you telling the stories yeah. of like gangbanging, yeah, yeah. right? Devious stuff, yeah. but smile. Mm. I think the smile is so disarming, yes. but it's authentic. Yes. Like you're not faking, like no, it's no, a no. real smile. Yeah, so sure. between the smile, the curiosity mm. and the oratory, wow. I think it puts you on another level. Wow. What do you think about those three? I, you know, I must be honest, I agree. Okay. And I don't want to say that. Me, yeah. I call a cat, cat, a spade, a spade. Mm -hmm. In terms of like even oratory, I had a, my father was always the speaker. So I used to watch everyone in every 
party event, they will gather around my father and he would be speaking and he would have their attention subpoenaed for an hour, mm. hour and a half. No one's moving, yeah? Mm -hmm. And I just used to watch him and I picked that up subconsciously for sure. I watched him do it at every event. He would always have us by him, yeah? And then it went from there to on the street level, I, I fast realized that the most powerful weapon I had was my mouth. Like we're in a, an environment where you would think it was the gun or the knife. And I'm like, no, no, it's definitely the mouth. You know, so I harnessed it then as well. Okay. Like I've actually spoken handcuffs off of my wrist with the police that have nicked me. Wow. Like literally, like, you know. So like it is like, I, I, I realized that then. Then um, in terms of when I went to go and speak and then it gave us a space to do the work we were doing, which was our purpose, our mission. I'm like, my days, this has created this. And then the effect it had on the people and the introductions it made. I said, this can take you across borders like that, that men put up. And then I started to, I have an obsession since I was young with English. Like even I said that my friend was murdered before my exams, which he was. And I still got um, A's for my English literature and language. Like, I mean, oh, I, that was the okay. one test I focused on. I actually went into the test and no matter the pain, it was actually like, it was, I was, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was like anesthetic. It actually, the English like helped me. I like the fact that sound has meaning. Like I'm fascinated with words, you know? So that's one part of it. And then also I had a mentor that actually told me at the beginning, he said, find three of the greatest orators that you've seen and you deem and just study them. Mm -hmm. And I did that also. And I just studied them, not by even taking notes out. I just watched every bit of footage they have that is in public kind of domain hundreds of hours right, looking and at I, their did cues, that. I did that language. every single yeah. day because yeah. I, I take things in and as I say I can regurgitate it when the time comes so I just kept on doing that and then I, it, it really hit me when I spoke alongside a group that I'm um, Bill Clinton's group yeah okay. and I know Bill Clinton's a great orator you know yeah I, I, mean, I agree yeah you know? top 1% in the world yeah literally and then his group was like um other than Bill we vote you the best speaker we have heard. Wow, is this the yeah. Clinton Foundation? I mean, it was the Clinton Foundation. I was, yeah, 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 yeah. it's crazy, yeah. Wow. I mean, like wow. the people wow. there, I was like, wow, that's, for me, it, 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 the penny dropped that day. I was like, all right, yeah, no, for sure. So in terms of oratory skills, 100%. The smile is just a part, if you don't smile, you cry. Yeah. You know, and I've realized it's funny, yeah? The smiling's actually, for me, on a deep level. I used to smile on the street. I would fight smiling. Mate, I know it's so weird. Right? <laughs> but I actually believe you would fight Oh, no, smiling. I fight yeah. smiling. I fight smiling. It's it's not like this smile. It's not a happy smile. So, and it was something about smiling. I don't know what it did chemically. It made me have control. So where they were kind of in anger, right? I was able to, because I, I was like probably the best street fighter in my community. And it was because I wore a smile. Wow. It was weird. So that's like kind of been the estimate of it. The smile just helps me to be in the moment. It helps me to be as calm as possible. So it's for me as much as, and then I need it as much as they need it. Yeah. So I just keep on wearing it, you know? <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible, man. Yeah. That's incredible. So... Yeah. All right, so... I see Jay over here. Yeah. Like, look, you better wrap this thing yeah. up. I, I just have two more quick things, Jay. Yeah. Just two more quick things. <laughs> we, we've done six minutes. Six yeah. minutes. So, all right, what is this? Is yeah. now, when you think about Carl Loco, the business enterprise, mm -hmm. right? Or, or not even the business enterprise, but the brand. Yeah. What's included in that? Because I think what is will be of interest to a lot of people yeah. is, okay, this guy 
is one of the most influential people in the world. Influence and influencers, that title interesting because of social media yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. and you're not making money by posting no, no, on a, you know no. but you're doing something completely yeah, different yeah, yeah, yeah. you are truly an yeah. influencer yeah so help people understand well well what is it that an influencer does how do you monetize that do you know what i learned quite quickly i have seen millions exchange over tables like this yeah so i'll be at dinner of a friend's house mm-hmm. and I mean, they've just opened up a new, I don't know, chain of something. Okay. And they're speaking about, oh, we've raised um, half of it, which is like 700K. And need the other 700K. And he's like, oh, tell me more about it. Told him more about it. Said, oh, you know what? I'm in. I said, oh, you get that tomorrow. And I'm watching the salad being passed and 700K. And I'm like, blimey, that happened over the dinner table. Wow. Then I would be at like the counter at the bar. And then there'll be another exchange and be like, all right, you know what? I want you to come over to us in Chicago, wherever we're at and we're based, see what it is. And then later on, I might see that same friend. I'll be like, oh, how was your trip? It doesn't matter. I went there. We end up working together. So we're merging. I'm like, oh, wow. Awesome. Then I go, and I realized contacts is contracts. Contacts is contracts. I had, that's why I have no shop front. That's why people every day ask me, Carl, what is it you do? Because I don't need to do what, what I do online to be able, because I am offline. It's just, it's my contracts. It's my, I mean, it's my contacts. It's my relationships. Right. You know, like, like just now the, the gig I had in Atlanta, like I met that um guy on Necker Island, like last year, you know, that is, it's just one of my contacts. Right. You know? Richard Branson's Island for all those things. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. my man yeah, Richard yeah. Branson's <laughs> Island. You know, I mean, but it's quite daft. It yeah. is actually, and that for me has been, like I remember, like even like certain artists in the country, like they w- weren't able to tour or they weren't able to get a certain venue. And then they went to that place and they had a discussion with them and the owner of that venue will message me and be like, oh yeah, you know what? So-and-so wants to come. Do you think it is? I'll call that said character. And then they'll be like, oh yeah. And I said, listen, you're going on my name. So make sure please nothing happens. Right. And I mean like all the owners, like I tend to know them. So they do hit me up. Like I, I was on the phone yesterday to the guy that owns Brixton Village. Wow. Like, and we, yeah. we like we had already met, like we had mutual friends and we were just chatting and he was like, yeah, listen, listen, I bought it a, a year and a half ago in market role. It's like, yeah, like, we should work together. I mean, over the phone through a friend. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like that's gotcha. just how. Gotcha. It's almost as, as, as if, you know, you're, you're, you're basically connecting people, yeah. connecting businesses. For sure. And then there's a percentage that comes from 100%. that. hundred percent. And and this this is some this is a business area that yeah. a lot of us would like to be in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you got it because you've been putting in over a decade I mean of, of, of building the network. I don't like people see my twenties and think it's something. Yeah. I'm like, you're gonna see what I did in my twenties and my thirties. Mm. This is when it goes off. Because I went for it. From about twenty one to about 27, I it wasn't healthy. Like, because of how hard you were. I was in the doing day. 30 to 40 one-on-one meetings a week. To build the network. To build. And I was doing 30 to wow. 40 one-on-one meetings on my own a week. Like it wasn't actually healthy. Like I would, at the drop of that, I would respond, I would go, I would, I mean, it was happening constant. It was only 27 that I actually took my foot off the gas. For the last, I'll be honest, like whatever it is, like since about, 28 i've just been coasting 
off of the work that off yeah, of the work that, that has done. been if i'm being honest you know and then now i'm like oh i've seen what coasting does yeah i'm like all right that's cool yeah i'm tired of coasting now so come now like i've already started now but come 2020 like and i mean what you kill in your 20s, you eat in your 30s, killing your 30s, eating your 40s. Like, I believe that. It does take about a decade. Okay, so you're you getting know? ready to put the put the foot on the I gas. I mean, it's and, happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going right. to see what it's been about. Love it, love yeah. it. Last <laughs> last right here is, so now that you're preparing yeah. to go hard, like we would say hard in the paint. Yeah, right? hard you get, in the paint. Getting ready to go hard in the paint. And you have all of this, you know, experience. Yeah. Professional development. You mm -hmm. already have an amazing network connection. Yeah. What are two or three of the areas that you're now focused on with regard to personal development? Interesting. Blim and heck, you're going there. Yeah. Because yeah. I want to know yeah. what's the future, Carl. Yeah. Like, what, what, what is it? Because you, I mean, it's just, it, because you're a student of life. Yeah. So what are you studying now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great question. Um, I'm actually going to get into um, Krav Maga. Yeah. Oh, uh, um, the on. Israeli defense. Yeah, the def yeah, yeah, the for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's something that I've had my eye on for about a year. And okay. anything that I have my eye on for about a year and I don't do it, it hurts me. You know, so it's getting to a point where the pain's unbearable. So I'm going to definitely do that. So I'm going to sign up and get that done 2020. So that's on the physical angle. Okay. I'm also going to climb some more mountains i like I'm, i do i do mountain climbing so i like that i want to do some of the ones that have bested me okay you know revenge so that's going to be part of it i also really want to me personally i want to invest in being a husband mm. this year 2020 i want to i want to do that whatever that looks like yes you know for me i really want to you know because that don't come natural to me you know i'm a bit of a workaholic i'm a bit of a like you know i just get you know so i want to do that i would also say in terms of spiritually, I want to really develop that this year. Okay. And I want to develop that in a way where I'm a bit more public with my personal relationship. You know, I, I've, I've kept it. People think it's public, but this ain't public for me. This is personal. You know, it just, it's picked up by the public, but I'm going to be intentionally quite public. You know, so in order to be intentionally public, I feel like I need to do more personally. And I just feel like that will be a huge area of development for me coming up. And then again, I just want to take my mastery of the English language to the next level. Interesting. I definitely feel as if it's not enough, for sure. I want to become more articulate. I just feel like doubling down on what you're good at. Like I don't do the, you know, I'm not trying to get my four to a six. Right. You know, I'm trying to get at what I'm kind of like my seven to a nine, you know, because yeah. to get to the excellence like field. So yeah, I'm going back to reading a book a week. I'm going back to learning 10 to 15 words a day. Like I'm, that is what I'm going back to 2020. So those are my main areas of development. And also I can let the cat out of the bag slightly. I've got um two products launching this year. Okay. You know, there you so go. there you go. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're doing a bit more of that. You know, I want to put. I've I've connected people. I've done it philanthropically. You know, but I haven't had a hand at just pure business. It's been more um introducing, selling my brand. You know, but it's not been something external for me. You know, so I want to have my hand at it this year. And a lot of people, everyone I meet, you see, when you meet more people, they'll be like, oh, you know, these skills are transferable here. You need to do this here and it could create this and create that. And I'm like, all right, cool, let's give it a go. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 2020 is about 2020, that yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah. And with all that work in 2020, yeah. that means that the 2030s, I mean, yeah, are going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. 2030s for sure. So I have a prediction. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, I believe right now, I yeah. do think I consider you the most influential wow. person in wow. the UK. Yeah. 
my prediction is that yeah. we're just going to replace the UK with the world. Wow. I, I think we're going to see it. Wow. I think you you have literally one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard. And what I love most is that you said all of that, all of this that you've accomplished, but one area that you're going to focus on is being a better husband. Mm. That really hit me because yeah. that's the foundation. Sure. And that's the foundation in which we leave. It's what you're going to leave to your boy. Absolutely. It's going to leave to your grandkids. That's the pattern. That's it. You know, for so, sure. so we're going to get Carl, it done. Man, thank you very much. <laughs> no, pleasure. Incredible. Thank Incredible. you for having me, my man. I appreciate it. Living legend. Thank you. Let's go, man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Nah, Excellent. That, the Absolutely. reading, the pre professional yeah, development. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. like, when you said 21, I'm yeah, reading yeah, the book. Yeah. Book That's, a week, brother. That is it. Book a week. I got to a point where I'm not even like, yeah, it was weird that I'll be like, I'd read certain chapters. Like I'll get someone that's read the book. They'll tell me like the key kind of chapters. I read those sometimes two books a week yeah. when I was doing it at that rate. It was it was insane. Yeah. Like I mean, it actually weren't healthy. Like I genuinely I burnt the candle at both ends. I just went for it. Right. My affirmations daily. So I would every yes. single hour, it would hit nine a.m. I would yeah. say my affirmation. Ten, I would say my affirmation. Oh, you did it on the hour. On the hour. On the hour, every day. Every day? Every single day. Every... To the point I remember going to Dallas chicken shop, yeah? I couldn't afford even a new pair of tracksuit. Tracksuit. And my tracksuit bottoms had a hole by the bum. I was going there to buy chicken and chips on money that weren't my own. Yeah? I couldn't even afford chicken and chips. I am in the line waiting to be served. And I'm feeling this huge indignation. Because how can they have the most influential man in Britain waiting for chicken in a chicken shop? It, I was perplexed. I genuinely, and I, that's when I realized, oh my days, this thing's quite, this is serious. Mm -hmm. Because I actually saw myself as the most influential man. Yeah, because you, you have to see it first. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and that came from, if you say your affirmation on the hour, every hour, and I mean, I was saying it emotionally. I would go to a window and I would say it like I'm speaking to the world. What was the affirmation? Um, the affirmation was literally talking about, I have a contact with every single industry in the UK. I am the most influential man in Britain. I am able to subpoena resources and bring it from this place to that place. I'm able to do this. They have my name on a chair when I walk in the room. Right. I make X amount. I do this. I live here. And I mean, all of it manifested. Yeah. Every single yeah. one of them yeah. manifested, yeah. you know. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, 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 a matter of fact, with this podcast, it's fascinating. Yeah. You're talking about affirmations because yeah. the first ten episodes mm. are affirmations. Look at that. And affirmations are something that you know. I, I feel like we, in particular, as black men, yeah, don't talk enough about this. Okay, this is something that you hear lots of other people talk about yes. in other communities. Yes. But black That's, men yes, yes. talking about, oh yeah, I do affirmations every day. Yeah. Yeah, mental health is focused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reading it's all like yeah. we, we're not having these conversations. Sure. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Mind you, I've never actually received that from a black man. Yeah. But yeah, it's always something. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 So it's um man, I I think it's incredible. It's incredible. But it, it all makes sense. And as long as you continue on that path, yeah. there's no limit. No, we're on. Yeah, we are on, and I, it's, it's, even what you said of, on closing, from the UK to the world, I genuinely I see that. Yeah, I haven't been anywhere on Earth currently where it's not been received. Yeah, you know there is a, 
And I almost feel like it's received even more abroad than it is at home. Yes, yes. And I'm so, like, wow, yeah, this is a bit. Yeah, there's real you know, power, you know, so I think the, the biggest thing, Joe's like, like, please just stop, <laughs> is my, my biggest lesson learned being here in the UK yeah. for, you know, going on two years mm. is there's a premium that's placed when you're not from that area. Just like when you said, I walk into the room because yeah. nobody's like me. There's power there, premium. right? Yes. There's a premium place. Mm. So the moment that you step into the United States, you are different by default. Yes. Right, you're different. So there's a premium placed on you. Absolutely. What we don't realize is that, what actually you realize is, but many people don't realize mm. is, is this, that there's a premium. It's not mm. to your detriment. Because yes. most people say, oh, I don't want to do that because I'll be the only one. Yes. Yes. I'm a, I sound different. Yeah. I have a different background. Yeah. They're going to think this way about Absolutely. me. So therefore, but no, instead, that's when you go, mm. you know? And so I believe that as you enter more circles globally, there'll be an even higher premium placed mm. on you. And I felt that here. Yeah. You know, coming to, to, to do TV, sure. it's, it's been the same 100%. thing. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So that'll... Interesting. Yeah. Now yeah. we're here for it, man. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It done. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I'm hoping this will be, you know, it will be a, a little rung on the ladder yeah. for that. Because I think in the U.S., what is going to be powerful for a lot of people is how intentional mm. you've been. Mm. And how everything, you know, nothing just happens. No. Right, it's about the intention behind Absolutely. it. Absolutely, everything's intense. Yeah, yeah. I told you, I told you, I told you that was going to be incredible. I tell you, Carl's story is so powerful, and there's so many lessons and takeaways that we can all pull to make our life better. And I just want to uh, tell Carl, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing those stories with us. Now. What do we do next? Well, first, I want to make sure that if you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, please rate, please review. All of those help the podcast tremendously. Also, I want you to know that I have some bonuses in here for you. So if you go look in your favorite podcast player, you'll see that the first 10 episodes of Better With Paul are bonus affirmations. And if you remember from this episode, Carl talked about how affirmations changed his life. So I've given you 10 bonus episodes, my favorite affirmations on a variety of topics. So please enjoy those. Now, what are we doing next? Well, in our next episode, I'm taking you from the UK to my favorite place in the world. We're going to Kingston, Jamaica, y'all. And we're going to be talking to none other than Bob Marley's close friend and art director on the next Better With Paul, we're talking with Neville Garrick. See you on the next episode. Sweet and bored.